Welcome to the Mind Your Hormones podcast. My name's Corinne, and I'm a board-certified holistic nutritionist who went from no period from mismanaged PCOS to a regular one. Now, I'm obsessed with helping you get hormonally balanced and emotionally aligned. This podcast is all about education, empowerment, real talk, and simple strategies you could start today to find inner peace and overall well-being. I am so excited to be here with you to chat about all things health, hormones, and mindset. Are you ready? Let's get it. What's up? Oh my gosh, I seriously cannot wait for you to hear this episode. If you've been listening to the Mind Your Hormones podcast for a little bit of time, you've probably heard me reference the book, The Fifth Vital Sign, because I love it. It's such an amazing book for teaching you about your cycle, how to track it, how to use what we can that's in our actual body to preserve our fertility instead of using birth control, to know when we're fertile, if you are trying to have a baby, like, oh, It's just so amazing. It's all about literally the fifth vital sign, which is our period and how important it is to have a period. So today on the show, I am chatting with the author of that book, The Fifth Vital Sign. So her name is Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. She's a certified fertility awareness educator and she's a holistic reproductive health practitioner. And her mission is just teaching women how to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, for improving conception, and for monitoring overall health. Because as we know, like the book title says, it's a fifth vital sign. It's literally a marker of our health. It's our report card. So we need to know how to actually read it. And in her book, The Fifth Vital Sign, she debunks the myth that regular ovulation is only important when you want to have children. Like I always am talking about because I was someone who didn't have a period for so long and I was told it didn't matter. Now that I know about my menstrual health, I know how important it is to have a period and to make sure I am ovulating So in this episode, we're talking all about periods, like what a normal period looks like, how you can track it, how to use our cervical mucus to make sure that we're ovulating and to make sure if you aren't trying to get pregnant and you're not on hormonal birth control, how to know when your fertile days are to avoid pregnancy or if you are trying to get pregnant to actually get have sex and get pregnant on the days that you are fertile and knowing how to actually track that using our body instead of using outside measures that are not always as accurate as your actual body is. We talk all about coming off of birth control, where birth control even started, how it affects our bodies. I mean, such incredible conversations. I cannot wait for you to hear it. So let's dive into it. I can't wait to hear your feedback on this episode and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Lisa, I am so honored to have you on the Mind Your Hormones podcast. I am obsessed with your book. I talk about it to everybody. I'm constantly recommending it because I've read so many different books in the hormone space and yours is so comprehensible. It's so easy to understand. It explains things in such an amazing way. So I cannot wait to chat with you about it. Um, But before we dive in, just say hello, introduce yourself. How did you get into this space? Like, Who's Lisa? Give us all the juicy information. Well, thank you so much. First of all, you are so sweet. I'm really excited to be here. Um, So as for me, I mean, I'm a fertility awareness educator and a holistic reproductive health practitioner. And I got into this work quite a while ago when I was in my early 20s. 
So, you know, long story short, I'll try to make it short, but I was put on the pill when I was a teenager because I had heavy, painful periods. And I actually went in for that reason. So I didn't know anything other than, you know, girls would say like, oh, if you're on it, it's slighter. So I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, and so it like <laughs> magically changed my pill quote periods. Mm. And, uh, but I wasn't using it for birth control. So, you know, every now and then I would come off of it, like, am I really fixed? <laughs> and then my uh, real periods would come back and they were heavy and painful and the whole nine yards. So I didn't have the words to describe it back then, but I knew that it wasn't actually doing anything. <laughs> so I didn't understand the process, but I definitely knew that it wasn't doing anything. And there was a history in my family of a variety of, you know, different challenges from, from fibroids to just mm. a variety of specific issues that I saw my mom and some of my aunties go through. So I also had this idea like, well, I'm probably predisposed to some you know, fertility challenges. And so I didn't want to do anything to like make it worse. So this is literally where my like 17 year old brain <laughs> is going. <laughs> yeah. And so when I finally needed birth control, I decided I was going to come off the pill and use condoms and try to figure out why my periods were so painful and all that. And so it was right around that time that I discovered fertility awareness. And so as you can imagine, it was amazing because I had yeah. been taught that you could get pregnant every single day of your cycle, uh, only to discover that there's a short window that you can identify by tracking your fertile signs. So I promptly <laughs> dove into that and used fertility awareness successfully in my 20s. And I took a training class in my early 20s and I was teaching women. Um, and so long story short, you know, that's my entrance into this field. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Okay. So, so many good things I want to dive into in this. Definitely want to talk about birth control. Um, but before we get into that, so Lisa's book is called The Fifth Vital Sign, if I didn't already say that. And before we dive into birth control and all of that, something that I experienced in my you know health journey was I was someone who didn't have periods or had really irregular periods. So I was on the other spectrum. And a lot of my clients have the same thing. And all of us, many of us were told that, oh, it's fine. You only need like three periods a year. It's no big deal. Like you're not trying to get pregnant, right? So obviously you and I know that that's not the case, but can you just tell us what is a vital sign? Because we know, you know, talking about this book, it's our periods are the fifth vital sign. So what is a vital sign and why do we actually need a real true period, not what the birth control period is? And then we'll get into all that stuff. Okay. I just have to say like, who's this person that uh, said like three periods a year? We're, we're not, that's crazy. Please, I'm not gonna, isn't that insane? Hole, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I believed him because I didn't know. I was like, oh, awesome. Sweet. I was young. I was like, okay, that's great. Like I only need three a year. That's amazing. Yeah, so, so, so that's ridiculous. Not the best. I mean, you can survive, but you can survive <laughs> with a lot of things. It's not yeah. optimal for your health. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, a, a vital sign is just a, a, a way to measure how your body is functioning. And so the most common vital signs we would think of our heart rate, you know, our pulse, our temperature, body temperature, our respiratory rate, how many breaths we take per minute, our blood pressure. And so, I mean, if you go to the doctor, we all have a general sense that a vital sign. So these ones that we're most familiar with, there's an accepted range, what's normal. And so not only does it give a general window into your health, but it also provides specific information. So if your temperature is elevated, if you have a fever, there's a few specific things that could cause that. So, or if your blood pressure is too low or something like that. So not only is it giving us general information, but it also gives your healthcare practitioner a place to start when 
these things are off. So with the menstrual cycle, we can look at it in much the same way. So of course, you need to work with someone who actually understands the workings of the menstrual cycle. But essentially, if we take everything that happens from your period to the next one, often we think of the menstrual cycle as the period, but I'm talking about the whole kit and caboodle. (laughs) So if I were to break it down, your period is the first phase. And once you stop bleeding, you move into the pre, well, that's all part of the pre-ovulatory phase. And so, you know, during that phase, you are, um, your ovaries are developing follicles, you're producing estrogen, and in a healthy cycle, you're going to make some cervical fluid, which you might get into later, and then you're going to ovulate. And then after ovulation, you're going to have a a post-ovulatory phase that lasts about 12 to 14 days when your cycle is healthy. So if I take you through those different aspects of the cycle, then there's a lot of opportunity to understand that if there's, so if there's something going on with your period, that might mean something. If Mm -hmm. there's something going on in your follicular phase, like Mm -hmm. if you're not ovulating, that could mean something. If your luteal phase is too short, that could mean something. Or if you're seeing spotting and things like that. So when I break it down like that, you can see like, oh, wow. So there's different things that could cause different issues with different aspects of the cycle at different times. And so in that way, the menstrual cycle can be used as a vital sign to monitor health. Because similar to your blood pressure, it doesn't give the doctor a definitive, like, okay, you definitely have this issue. But there's kind of like a short list of issues that can cause certain issues with your with your menstrual cycle. And I feel like you had another question um, that I, I didn't you, answer. I think you covered it. The vitals, oh, oh, no. Yes. Why? Okay. So I love all of that. And it really just allows women to be like, okay, I need to be more aware of my menstrual cycle. Like you said, the whole kickaboodle, all the phases, not just the actual bleeding, which is so crucial because most of our life, we first of all, we only just think it's the bleeding part. We have no idea about anything else and we're not taught anything about this, which is why I love that you are educating women on this because it's so important. Um, The other question I had was why is it important for us to actually ovulate and have a true period, even if we don't want to get pregnant? Yeah. So I I felt, I I remembered that it was a really good question. It's also very important, so I didn't want to miss it. Uh, So, I mean, one, I use a lot of analogies when I explain things. And if you think about, uh, so, you know, if you were to buy a car, there was a time, I think it's different now, just just speak to my age, but there was a time (laughs) that when you bought a car, maybe the the air conditioning was optional, right? Mm -hmm. But whether you had the air conditioning in or out, the car functions the same because it's a car, And there are separate parts that do separate things. And for whatever reason, we've been taught that our bodies are like that car Mm -hmm. where our ovulation is separate. And if we just shut it off, it doesn't change the overall functioning. But we don't realize that our ovulation, um, our reproductive cycle is part of the package. When you are a, a woman, when you are in a female body, this is part of the deal. When you're of reproductive age, it's just you can't separate the two. And it's not like we only have receptors for progesterone and estrogen in the uterus. Mm -hmm. We have receptors all over the body. So we can see this when we look at what happens when the cycle is stopped. So to give an example, like in in your case, when you weren't having a lot of periods at all. So that sounds like it could be under the umbrella of hypothalamic amenorrhea, HA. And so Mm -hmm. in that situation, you are not ovulating. So there's no follicular development, very little, if any, 
cervical mm-hmm. fluid production happening. And the reason that that happens is typically a combination of under eating, over exercise and stress. And so you're literally yep. starving. <laughs> yeah. So your body's actually being highly intelligent and shutting off ovulation because it's like, well, this wouldn't be a good time to try to grow a human being since we're barely supporting ourselves. Yes. So your body's actually responding in a, it's not a, pro, like it's a problem, but your body's actually responding in a very healthy way right. by stopping it. And the side effects um, include things like bone loss. Mm-hmm. So I've worked with women in their 20s with osteoporosis diagnosis uh, diagnoses wow. um, because when you're not ovulating, it's a, it's a sign that there's a problem. And, and so you could think even like your body kind of eating away at itself. I know that's not a nice thing to say, but yeah. it's a serious risk factor. So even if you don't, and there's many examples, but to keep it short, you know, even if you don't want to have children like right now or mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. you still want to not have osteoporosis at 25. Like you still want to be right. healthy and vibrant and overall um, be able to enjoy life. Yes. And these are things I didn't know when, when that was, and I definitely had HA. I also had undiagnosed PCOS, which led to that. So it was a whole mix of things, but I had no idea that it was increasing my risk of osteoporosis because nobody ever told me that. And I was already at a greater risk because my mom and grandma have it. So it's just like things like this that we don't know. And when you're young in your twenties, someone tells you only need three periods. You're like, sweet. like, I don't have to deal with it, you know? So this is so important. And I think this is a huge thing that everyone needs to know. And then this moves perfectly into birth control because some people listening right now may be, may be thinking, oh, I get a period every month because I'm on birth control. But that's actually not what's happening. So can you dive into, and also I love your car analogy. And in the book, you use so many good analogies that I love. You're so good. That's why one of the things that I love about the book is you're super good at explaining things. And it's very easy to understand no matter where you're at in your education with hormones. So side note, but okay, birth control, you were on it. How does it affect us? How is it even originated? We're not getting a real period. Like what's actually going on? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think we're told a lot of white lies about birth controls. So I know when I was young, I was told like, oh, it tricks your body into thinking you're pregnant. Yes. So it's like normal. It's healthy. It's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it, it doesn't actually trick your body into thinking you're pregnant. Pregnancy is actually a natural state, right? When you're growing a baby. And yes. when you're pregnant, you have increasing levels of estrogen and progesterone. It's really interesting by the time you're 40 weeks pregnant, you have like 11 times the progesterone that you would in a normal cycle. So pregnancy is actually like a second puberty where your breasts change, they become able to lactate, like it Mm. fully changes your body in in similar to puberty, making kind of like a new, it's a whole new phase of life for the pill doesn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what happens with hormonal contraceptives is that it is exposing your body to synthetic estrogens and progestins. So the words estrogen and progesterone are thrown around a lot, giving us the impression that it's the same hormones that we make in our body, but the hormones in the contraceptives are made in a lab. And in order to patent and sell drugs, you know, they can't actually make it that bioidentical, you know, or, or they wouldn't be able to patent it and make money off of it. Mm. So just for the record, it's not the same hormones. So they're yes. similar enough that they trigger our receptors, but they do have some different effects, you know, some that we know about and some that we don't know about. Um, but essentially what's happening is when you take hormonal contraceptives, so you're getting this influx of artificial hormones and the primary mode of action for most combined contraceptives is the full suppression of 
ovarian function. So it's shutting down ovulatory function. And I mean, that's very helpful when you want to not get pregnant because if you're not ovulating, you can't get pregnant. Um, And so one of the secondary functions is to prevent the uterine lining from fully developing. So the uterine lining is very thin and flat. And even if somehow ovulation were to happen, it would be less likely to implant because the uterine lining isn't fully developed. And then also it blocks the cervix with a thick mucus plug, similar to what happens at certain points of your cycle, but it's just all the time. Mm. So we kind of have three fronts. So for the non-estrogen containing contraceptives, um, like the IUD is an example of that. So some women, you know, stop ovulating for a period of time, but a lot of women actually do continue ovulating, whether regularly or sporadically. And so you have the other two modes of action to kind of still prevent pregnancy. For the hormonal IUD you're speaking about. That's right. The progestin infused IUD, for example. Right. Um, and so it's, what's interesting is that when you're on these hormones, you're still producing a, a small, but still level of hormones. And if we, if we were to kind of look like what natural state would this be more closely related to, it'd be more like a chemical menopause. Cause like what's happening mm-hmm. in menopause? Well, your ovaries are inactive right, <laughs> and right. You're producing a very low level of hormones. And so when you hear 21 year olds with, I don't know, like low libido and vaginal dryness, like now mm-hmm. you can kind of understand why that might be. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. It makes so much sense. And I love how you explain that there's three different ways that it affects our body. And that of course, that means that you're not getting an actual period. So when people are going on hormonal contraceptives to quote unquote, regulate their period, that's not actually what's happening. It's not regulating your period. It's just simply putting a bandaid on and just turning everything off. So, well, I can explain that a little bit, especially if this mm -hmm. is a new concept for some of your listeners. So Mm -hmm. when I was researching the history of the pill, so the very first pill came out in 1960, uh, it's called Enovid. And uh, so before the the release, they did what I refer to as a beta trial. And so the couple of years before it came out. And so during that time, they put all these women on the pill. So imagine it's 1950s, there was no pill. And the only time women stopped getting their periods was when they were pregnant or obviously menopause or, you know, breastfeeding or sick, like if there was actually a, a problem. So some of these women in the trial, so, you know, kind of strangely enough, were trying to conceive. And so there was kind of this thing where they were going to put them on this, suppress the cycle for a bit. And then maybe when they come off of it, the fertility would rebound or something. Mm-hmm. So when these women stopped getting their periods, they thought they were pregnant, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. The, the doctors would try to convince them that they, that it was the, the drug, but it, it really just, they weren't getting it. Like, no, I'm pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, shut up. Right. I'm not getting my period. So I must be pregnant. <laughs> Obviously I'm pregnant. And yeah. so when they actually figured out that it was actually the drug that was causing this reaction, you know, many of them were, you know, devastated and it was really just not a good scene. So this mm-hmm. is the origin of our 28 day pill because mm-hmm. the doctors decided to, you know, have a couple sugar pills or have a couple days when they're not taking the hormones, your body kind of it's called a withdrawal bleed because we're withdrawing those artificial hormones. Your body literally just kind of like releases the lining that was building up based on the stimulation of these artificial hormones. And then if you weren't to not take it anymore, you would actually potentially resume normal cycling. So, you know, from the beginning, we were told that it was a cycle and we were Mm -hmm. told that you're having your period, but it was never that. And now if you think about it, so 60 years later, um, women are much more comfortable with this whole idea of not having periods. So yeah. back then they couldn't have convinced someone to take something where they just wouldn't bleed for a year. But now mm-hmm. we're all like, sweet. Yeah. So now <laughs> they have the 80 day pills and they have the four periods a year pills. And now they're actually coming out and saying it. They were, they're saying, and it's correct. There was never a medical reason 
to create a withdrawal bleed for contraceptives. It was always just to reassure women to make us feel better. Now, there's a medical reason to have an actual ovulatory period. Right. Off of hormonal contraceptives. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like there's a reason to ovulate and have a true menstrual period because that's how we make our hormones and that's how our bodies are designed. Um, But what's interesting is if you look into this and look into the concept of menstrual suppression, these things are conflated. So they're kind of saying like, oh, well, there was never a reason to have a pill bleed, but they're kind of saying like, there's never a reason to have a period. So everyone's confused, Mm -hmm. but no, no, no. Right. (laughs) There there was always a reason to have an ovulatory bleed. That's just a sign of health. It's almost like saying like, if men urinate, I don't know, because it's inconvenient, sometimes they shouldn't. Like (laughs) as women, like we have periods, like there's, this is um, a normal event and it's a sign of health. Um, But hopefully that clarifies with the, the pill bleed and, um, and how also, I mean, it's not even like, cause it can sound like I'm like, Oh, the pill's horrible and whatever. And like, we could talk mm-hmm. about the pros and cons of it, but mm-hmm. my real issue is with the white lies. Like what's with the lies? Like, why exactly. can't you just tell me what it's doing? Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm up. like if I want to take it, I'll take it. Exactly. Sometimes when I talk about this, people are like, well, how can you ever say it's okay for a woman to use the pill? And I'm like, well, people smoke. Yeah, right. Everyone has their own choice. (laughs) But when you smoke, like you, you know what the risks are. So why can't you just tell me what it does? And then I'll decide. Yeah. I say the same thing. I'm like, it's about informed consent. Like, of course I believe in having a choice. If you want to go on birth control, like that's your own choice, but women are choosing without knowing what's actually going on. And especially with the anxiety and depression, all that that's linked to it as well, which is, we could do literally a whole other podcast episode on that. But Yes, I totally agree with you that it should be informed consent and that women should know about this and or anyone who's taking it, a female body should know about this because it's so crazy that some some people are just going on it for acne, for, you know, like there's all these different reasons. And obviously it's just putting a bandit on. It's not, it's not healing your acne. And most of the time when you come off of it, it's going to be worse anyway. So a little bit more of a, two more questions about the birth control. And then I want to go into cervical mucus and all that. Cause that was like, so amazing in your book as well. Um, so if someone is on birth control right now and they know that eventually they want to get pregnant, how early would you recommend someone come off of hormonal birth control when they're planning to have a baby? Because most of the women that I speak to and that I work with will say that their doctors tell them, oh, when you want to start trying, just stop then and then start trying. So what is your take on this? Well, so, I mean, depending on who you talk to, it could my take on it could be looked at as controversial. Um, so, I mean, everyone is different. Everyone is a different, you know, age in a different situation. And so not everybody has endless time when, you know, they're switching from the mode of conception to trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ideally, I actually suggest uh, 18 months to two years. And that's a long time. And I'll, I'll break down why. So it's not to say that everybody needs that much time. Right. Um, but I think the first thing to consider is that, so if you were put on the pill because you had a problem with your p- cycle or your periods, then it's kind of like, okay, so we need to talk. So in your case, if you were literally getting like less than three periods a year or about three, and that was okay with your <laughs> practitioner, um, or if you weren't getting it, or if your cycles were really long and irregular, so over 36, 35, 36 days, um, less than four or five periods a year kind of situation. Um, so when, when you're put on the pill in that situation, of course, you're told that it's helping to regulate your cycle and all that. But that withdrawal bleed is it's all suppressed. Like there's no ovulation happening. There's no cycle. So when, um, when you come off the pill, 
uh, I think even if I back up a little bit more, there's a reason why your cycle was doing that. Yes. So all, that's the point. So if mm-hmm. your cycles were irregular, if you weren't getting a period, there's a reason why. And so if you go on the pill, the pill gets rid of the symptom which mm-hmm. can be helpful. Um, right. I know there's a lot of women that have really painful periods, kind of like mine were or worse. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it can be helpful, obviously, <laughs> yeah. to yeah. get rid of that symptom. But the challenge is that then when you want to switch into conception mode, whatever the issue was, wasn't being addressed. Right. So again, with my analogies, it's like if you were to buy like a like a second house by the lake or something, and there was like a water main break or whatever, and the water mm-hmm. was just gushing from the pipe and you just shut the water off, Mm-hmm. We're like solved. Yeah, <laughs> everything's fine now. <laughs> when you need to take a shower, like hello, it's um, gonna so, come back, <laughs> right? So, um, and what's interesting is that when you look into the research about the pill, uh, the general consensus is that the pill is a reversible contraceptive method, meaning that there's no evidence to suggest that the pill itself causes long-term fertility problems. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those studies look at a years of time. So, you know, and they select women who didn't have those problems we were talking about. Of course. <laughs> so, um, so over the course of a year, the percentage of women who will get pregnant is often quite high in those ideal populations, mm-hmm. like 70 to 80%. But there's a difference between getting pregnant the first month you try and the 12th. So when you find studies that actually look at kind of like the cycle per cycle um, situation, what we find is that there is a temporary delay in the return of your fertility. And so you basically have a cohort of women who have been actively avoiding pregnancy like the plague Mm -hmm. for the better part of their (laughs) teens and 20s. (laughs) And they have been told that they can get pregnant anytime. So I, I gave this example in the book. Uh, and it was like someone actually said this out loud. It was like, yeah, my practitioner told me that um, when you're in your t- early 20s, you're so fertile that you could get pregnant sitting on warm bus seats. Yeah, I, was, I literally <laughs> laughed out loud when I read that. Like, yeah, like, that was a real person that, that told me that. That was oh like a literal God. quote. And so I didn't make it up. I mean, I wish I did, but yeah, I didn't. That's hilarious. And so, but this is what we're dealing with. Right. So as you can imagine, it's, it's highly, like we're all good the first cycle. So mm-hmm. the fir- you come off the pill you're like, yeah, you know, I've been on it for a while, whatever. The first cycle, you have sex uh, and you unprotected, like mm-hmm. kind of for the first time, and mm-hmm. you don't get pregnant. You're kind of like, okay, all right. Right. But by the second cycle and the third cycle, you're already starting to freak out. You're already yep. making appointments and things like that. And by cycle six, many women are already doing fertility, you know, some sort of fertility stuff. Mm-hmm. And so this is my point, you know. Um, so, okay. So the best case scenario for your cycle, like your period returning relatively quickly, if you had had your first period and had a couple of years of cycling um, and your cycles were pretty, like you don't really remember any issues, they always kind of came on time. Mm-hmm. So meaning that like, um, if you think about, if you think about what it's like after going through pu- puberty, you don't just wake up with breasts, you know, it takes right. <laughs> a couple of years, <laughs> got the breast buds. So yeah. your cycle is kind of the same way. There, it takes a little bit of time for the um, connection, the the conversation between the hypothalamus, pituitary, ovarian action, it takes a little bit of time for that to mature. So if that was all good, you know, maybe you went on the pill when you were like 18, you'd already had your period for a while, everything was pretty normal, pretty consistent, then yeah, when you come off birth control, you might actually start cycling 
right away. I've had women, they come off the pill, their period, their ovulation is 14 days later, they get their first period and off they go. It's not to say that the whole cycle is totally normal. They usually have, you know, potentially takes a bit of time for the mucus to normalize the luteal Mm -hmm. phase, but I'm just talking about like ovulation menstruation. Um, Mm -hmm. If you were in the category that we were talking about, where the cycles were not normal, mm-hmm. you didn't know when your next period was coming, et cetera, that didn't go away. Mm-hmm. So some women come off the pill and then it's like four months or six months before they actually ovulate and have their first period or year yeah. or more than that. So, But that's not the pill's fault, really. So what's happening in that situation is that there was a problem. The pill was masking it. And now mm-hmm. when you come off the pill, the problem is revealing itself. Right. So 18 months to two years is a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say like, if you know that you had a period problem and that's why you were put on, it's good to give yourself some time. So I'm saying come off when you're not trying, like when you're avoiding, like yeah. have a backup right. <laughs> unless you <laughs> learn, uh, you know, fertility awareness or something, you need to have a backup like condoms mm-hmm. or whatever, but you right. want to give your body some time. Um, and then if you didn't really have any issues, I would still say a year to 18 months would be mm-hmm. a good buffer of time. Yeah. I love that. I, I love the way you explained all that. That makes so much sense because yeah, it's like they think the problem goes away and it doesn't go away. So now you have to deal with it. And this is why a a lot of people, like you said, will go to IVF or some type of fertility treatment because they didn't allow that time or they don't know that that was even necessary. I can't get over how amazing this episode is. And this conversation is so important. So I'm so happy you're here. I'm not taking away a lot of time from this episode because it's so juicy, but I just wanted to pop in here really quick and let you know of another free way that you and I can connect outside of this podcast. I have a free text list. Maybe you're already a part of it, but if you're not, I send weekly texts on health, hormones, and mindset just to keep you on your toes, keep you learning, keep you motivated. And my text list is also the first to know about when programs come out, when early early bird specials are on all the things. So if you want to hop on it, the link will be in the show notes. If you're driving or you're on a walk, or maybe you're going to Whole Foods right now, whatever you're doing, but you could text me anything. You could text the word hi. You could text me your favorite emoji to the number 516-430-5144. And again, the link will be right in the show notes. Text me whatever you want. It'll be added to the le- to the text list. It's totally free. It's just another way that we could connect outside of this podcast and outside of social media. So without further ado, let's get back to the conversation with Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. Now I want to move into alternative contraception. So your fertility awareness method, if someone doesn't know what that is, can you explain what the fertility awareness method is and then how someone can get started in actually tracking things? Yes. Um, so the, I mean, the fertility awareness method is essentially understanding how your body works. So it starts with kind of smashing some of the myths that we've been taught, you know, over the years, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. So, you know, as a woman, you're not fertile every single day of the cycle. I actually Mm -hmm. had someone DM me today with a, this is a question I get in my programs and every now and then, but it's like a legit question because she's like, okay, I just discovered fertility awareness. And are you telling me, so pardon me, because I'm going to be frank. Are you (laughs) telling me that like my husband can like ejaculate inside of my body on certain days of my cycle and I won't get pregnant. Like she's like, it's like I'm holding like explicit. The, the clip, clipboard and I'm holding yeah. my pencil and I yeah. really need you to explain this. Like, can you draw me a picture? Because we can't get it in. Like I've had clients are fully like in the class and they're like, yeah. whoa, 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 wait. So when you say unprotected, like you mean withdrawal, right? <laughs> You're like, no, no, no. I mean, fully unprotected. (laughs) 
Um, so, I mean, this is, this is the, oh the extent, God. right, of what we're not taught. So, <laughs> so basically, when you start to understand how your body works, and this is actually biology, like it's mm-hmm. legit science. So, and from a very practical standpoint, the uterus is an internal organ. So even from that perspective, it wouldn't make sense for it just to be open to whatever all the time. So there's a phase of the cycle where the cervix, the opening to the uterus is actually closed and it's blocked with a thick mucus plug. So it blocks sperm, obviously, mm-hmm. but it also would block bacteria and all kinds of other stuff because that makes sense. You, you wouldn't need to be exposed to things to potentially expose you to, you know, internal infections. Right. And um, that's the real so, phase you're speaking of? Well, that's outside of the fertile window. So essentially okay. you have your, your period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll, I'll talk about like a typical kind of cycle, but um, you basically have your period and then you have a couple of days in a typical cycle before you start to see cervical fluid. We call those dry days. Mm-hmm. And so there's different ways to check. So cervical fluid can look like creamy white hand lotion or clear, stretchy, raw egg whites. And so in a healthy, typical cycle, you might have cervical fluid for you know five, six days leading up to your period. Uh, sorry, leading up to ovulation. Mm -hmm. And so it's during that time when you're making the cervical fluid that you can actually get pregnant. The reason is because when you're making the cervical fluid, the cervix is actually opening. So the plug dissolves during this time. And so the sperm actually can swim up into the cervix. That's the Mm -hmm. only time that they have access. So like think nightclub, the bouncer (laughs) is out or the bouncer (laughs) is out to lunch. So when the bouncer is out to lunch is the only time that the sperm are getting into the nightclub. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't stop. I love (laughs) it. It doesn't stop. Um, And so what's interesting about that, then after you ovulate, and this is hormonal as well. So Mm -hmm. uh, the reason that you are seeing that cervical fluid is because as you approach ovulation, you're making estrogen and the estrogen is what is stimulating the cervix to make cervical fluid. So it's, it's, it's not necessarily predictable, but there are patterns that your body goes through that you're able to track and observe and understand. So Mm -hmm. after you ovulate, then you start to produce progesterone. And progesterone actually shuts down the mucus production, forms the thick mucus plug in the cervix. Uh, so when you're tracking these signs, you'll see cervical fluid in a healthy typical cycle for you know several days. You'll ovulate and then it goes away. And so literally you go back to dry days. And then if you are adventurous and comfortable, you can check your cervical position as well. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that it changes. So during the middle of your ovulatory um, fertile phase, you will typically feel it to be softer. You might feel a little dimple, it might be higher in the vagina. And then afterwards it's lower. I remember that was one of the most fascinating things to me when I first learned this. Yeah. And then also the temperature. So if you track your temperature first thing in the morning before you get up, then you'll see that after ovulation, the temperature actually rises and stay, stays high. And that's a result of the progesterone having the um, thermogenic effect on the body. Mm-hmm. So then once you get into that post-ovulatory phase, so what happens is the when you don't have cervical fluid, when you don't have the clear, stretchy stuff, your vagina is actually naturally acidic. And again, this is your kind of natural defense against bacteria and all that kind of stuff and sperm. And so if you have unprotected sex during that time, when you, and there's more to it, you got to learn the rules. You have to understand, you know, you have to have a little buffer period and things like that. So there are rules to learn (laughs) to do this correctly. Um, And there is peer reviewed research to, Mm -hmm. um, 
to kind of illustrate how f- effective this could be. So for anyone who's wondering like, well, this sounds like the rhythm method. This is like weird. Like, yeah. are we counting days? So there's, <laughs> um, <laughs> what I'm referring to here when I'm talking about the temperature and the cervical fluid and the cervical position, it's the symptothermal method. And so there, there is actual research on this. There's rules that have been developed based on the ovulatory cycle. And so this method is up to 99.4% effective when done, um, used correctly. So of course you have to know what you're doing, you have to learn. Um, and the, the um, research is done from people who learned a specific method from instructors. So there's mm-hmm. a, a few caveats there. But, you know, bottom line, it, it, it's doable. Yeah. Just, you know, it's not necessarily the right method for everybody, but for mm-hmm. women who jump in and they learn the rules and, and for them it, it really resonates, it, it's very effective. Yeah. Um, it's almost like it's so effective sometimes because then you start to like question it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, is this okay? <laughs> well, because it's like, um, so I, if I give an example for women who actually they're using it, they're kind of new to the method. Um, they are having unprotected sex in the infertile time and they're not getting pregnant. You know, they take a trip to the doctor and the doctor's like, oh, so you're not on birth control. No, you know, we, we've been off it for a year and you're not pregnant yet. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Um, and so then she starts to think like, well, should I be pregnant? Right. There's something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, my God. Yeah. It, it's so, I love those three different methods, right? The cervical fluid, the temperature, the um, positioning, like all of those are so amazing how our bodies literally are designed to protect us and to get pregnant at a specific time and not at other times. And unfortunately we're told we could, like you said, get pregnant whenever. Um, so can you walk us through what a healthy period looks like and what, how like the cervical patterns or the cervical fluid patterns, that was so, um, that was really interesting for me to read with when you said, you know, if cervical mucus is present, consider that fertile, um, you know, and in your cycle. So what could that look like? Um, yeah, let's start with that. And then I want to ask about some irregularities with the cervical mucus. Okay. Well, the first part of your question was about the period. So, um, you know, a healthy period typically falls somewhere between three to seven days with an average of about, you know, five days or so. And I would say period should be like a sentence. So it should have a big beginning, a middle and an end, and then it should be over. So at the beginning of the period, it's typically moderate to heavy. So starting the first couple of days of bleeding, typically you're losing the most blood during that time. So I found a study saying you lose like 70% by day two and 90% by day three. So the first, Mm -hmm. you know, anyone who's had a period, it's like, yes, that sounds about right. That's accurate. (laughs) (laughs) And so then it should, you know, there's kind of like a crescendo, decrescendo pattern. Mm -hmm. And then it it typically, you know, becomes lighter and and trails off. And the bleeding itself, it should be, you know, some version of red. So Mm -hmm. it can be darker red or lighter red. And um, there shouldn't be excessive clotting. It shouldn't be like purple or black. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you, so spotting can happen, you know, a couple days, like, but still within the sentence. Mm -hmm. Um, And you would, you know, spotting can be a little bit brown, it can be pink. And so that's kind of generally the period. And I mean, I could talk about different volumes. I mean, the, there is a such thing. I think everyone has an understanding that there is a such thing as too much bleeding. There's also such a thing as too little bleeding. Mm -hmm. Um, And so on the higher end of normal is about 60 to 80 milliliters is typically Mm -hmm. what they consider to be the top end of normal. Not because women don't bleed more than that. So 80 milliliters, if anyone uses a menstrual cup, it's like five of them or something like that. And that's the, and that's throughout the entire period, (laughs) the entire period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you use pads and tampons, I think each, um, 
each full menstrual cup could be like three to five full regular tampons or pads, tampons or pads. So, um, so that would be mean that, you know, you're filling like four to five pads usually on like the heavier days kind of thing on the heavier end. So the reason that they have that as the kind of top end is because when you bleed more than that, there can be something going on. You, you know, there could be something like fibroids or, you know, and also if you bleed more than that, uh, you could potentially have an issue with your iron. Mm. And that makes that makes sense as well. So mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong, but if you're bleeding on the heavier end all the time, then it does make sense to just get checked out, get an ultrasound, get them to do the fun, I call it the magic wand, but like the internal and the external <laughs> yes. like the things that women have to go through. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> and then have your iron levels checked, your ferritin stores and et cetera, just to kind of make sure. Yeah. Um, and you might have to push for it because a lot of doctors kind of dismiss all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fine. And so fine isn't a word that I like. I want to take it out of my vocabulary. So yes. if your doctor doesn't want to do it, then find another one or just right. like, keep asking. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and it, then on the light end too, like if it's really light, um, I mean, there's a lot of different things that could be uh, a reason for that. But mm-hmm. I suppose that just one way to think about it is that our uterine lining is building throughout the cycle because of the hormones. So mm-hmm. estrogen is building it in the first half and progesterone is maturing it in the second half. So if your period is barely there, then there's not enough estrogen. If there's not enough hormone, there's something wrong. Like, why aren't you making enough hormones? Are you eating right. food or what's happening? Right. Yes. Okay. And then for a typical cycle, you know, day one to right before you bleed again, what, how can that vary? Um, I know you talk a lot about how it's not always going to be, you know, 28 day cycle. It's not always going to stay consistent. The ovulation time can change. Um, but the luteal phase, like you said, is usually consistent. So anyway, how can, what would you describe as, is a falls in the normal window of a cycle length? Yeah. I mean, a normal cycle length typically can vary between about, you know, 24 and 35 days. And with 29 days, uh, being about the average. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's helpful because there are women that can have, you can have an unhealthy 28 day cycle. Um, you can have a healthy 32 day cycle. Mm-hmm. So I think that's helpful because I think a lot of women think, oh, my cycles aren't always 28 days. So they must be irregular. Well, no, mm-hmm. not necessarily. Right. And so if you think about that range, then it means that ovulation also doesn't always happen on day 14. Mm-hmm. So in a healthy typical cycle, you would have ovulation happening somewhere between typically days 20 or sorry, days 10 and maybe 22 or 23 or something like that. Um, and even that, I mean, so for women who are trying to get pregnant, you know, we've all been told the day 14 thing. So a lot of women who are trying to get pregnant are consistently having sex on day 14. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, day 14 is a great day. Um, yeah. <laughs> but if your ovulation is happening on day 10, mm-hmm. um, then that is your congratulations. You're using fertility for birth control and you know it. And then yeah. <laughs> if you're ovulating on day 23 or something like that, um, then you could be missing that window uh, because sperm can survive in the body for up to five days during the fertile window. Mm. Um and so that's why mucus is is the the, the big part that we want to be paying attention to. So one yes. of the questions that you asked is, is around the variability. So mm-hmm. what, what's interesting is that the first half of the cycle, so the ovule, you know, pre-ovulatory phase or mm-hmm. follicular phase is the most variable. And I mean, the reason for that is is just because there's a lot of things that can kind of um, delay ovulation, interfere with that conversation that's taking place between the hypothalamic 
pituitary ovarian axis. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, back to your story, I don't know what was going on there, but the typical presentation of, you know, HA, if that's what it was, Mm -hmm. then is, is kind of like not eating enough, exercising too much. Mm -hmm. Um, More PCOS, that's a bit different. That's a metabolic condition Mm -hmm. where your body does not tolerate uh, carbohydrates very well. So Mm -hmm. there's often some insulin resistance there, glucose intolerance, inflammation, and, and so together, these things create basically the perfect storm to delay um, ovulation until you right. get those things under control. And so those are only two examples, but there's a lot of different things that can interfere with that when ovulation is happening. Okay. So then with the cervical mucus, because I think tracking that is really, really important. And obviously, you know, if you are looking to do the fertility awareness method, highly recommend working with somebody and we'll, we'll ask Lisa how everyone can work with her at the end, but Real quick, how can you um, tell us how to track our cervical mucus and what it's supposed to, you know, like quote unquote, supposed to look like, like a normal pattern of it, um, you know, just for someone who has like a regular cycle or what we could, what we could really look for cervical mucus wise? Um, yeah, I mean, so in a typical healthy cycle, so I mentioned that cervical fluid can look like the creamy white hand lotion or the clear, stretchy kind of raw egg white type. And so there's, I mean, I'm always hesitant to say like, this is how it is because every woman isn't the same. So mm-hmm. some women have some, you know, a couple of days where they'll see a little bit of lotiony type cervical fluid, and then it'll kind of go into the clear stretchy that they can, um, whether it's hanging off of them or they go to the bathroom and they wipe, it feels really lubricative. And mm-hmm. if, if you are, you know, brave enough to touch the toilet paper, you can actually pull it off. It's it's actually really interesting. <laughs> and how, about how many days into the follicular phase about would this, would you start seeing some type of cervical mucus, even if it's just the hand lotion one to start? I mean, it, it does depend. Uh, so in a typical cycle, you might just start to see that um, cervical fluid, you know, day eight, nine, 10. It, it really depends. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the key. When women are first learning about fertility awareness, we want to put it into the rhythm method. So even though we're calling it something different, we still think, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I usually ovulate around this day and there's nothing wrong with that. But um, in any cycle, you could have an earlier or later ovulation. So mm. um, when you're tracking your cycle, it is possible to start seeing cervical fluid a little bit earlier than usual or a little bit later. So what I encourage women to do who are more serious about tracking is, um, is just to start to get a sense of your patterns. Like you don't want to get really hung up on your quote ovulation day. Mm. But when I say patterns, I mean, you know, how long is your period typically, right? How many days are you typically bleeding for? We know it can vary a little, but typically there's a pattern there. Right. And how many days before you start to see cervical fluid? So for many mm-hmm. women, it might be even up to like four to five days, maybe even a week. But mm-hmm. for others, they're going to start to see it sooner. And then okay. how many days of cervical fluid do you typically see? So in a typical cycle, you might see five, six days, but that varies a lot. So for mm-hmm. women who are just coming off birth control, if I've seen a lot of clients, especially clients who have used birth control for a long time. So, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 wow. years. Yeah. So when you're coming off of birth control after long-term use, it sometimes takes several months before that mucus starts to normalize. And so, uh, so that's something to take into consideration as well. And as we get older, we typically, uh, our cervical crypts actually change and we often make 
less of the kind of peak type. So mm-hmm. I've worked with women that have five, six days of cervical fluid of varying types. Not everyone sees the lotion So some mm-hmm. women go straight into the peak type, like uh, and the peak. peak. And that's the egg white, right? <laughs> the egg white. Yes. Yeah. I try okay. not to be too like um, wordy. I try to catch myself. Uh, but yeah, the peak type is like the egg whitey type. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then some women may have like one day. So often in our late thirties, early forties, and again, everyone is not the same, but mm-hmm. many women have fewer days. So they might have two or three days or even one day. Mm. And then not all women have the clear stretchy, like hanging out of them lots of times a day they're seeing it. For some women, it's literally like that one or two days of the cycle where they actually feel that moisture, you know, when they're walking around and when they go to the bathroom, it feels really lubricative, but mm-hmm. there's not really a lot to speak of. Okay. So, so it's, it's tough. I can't, I can't just answer these questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've just seen such a gamut and yeah. when women hear it's, it's, so let's say, you know, the women who are listening, they go out and grab a book and you know, the books often have this perfect, like, this is what it's supposed to be like. Yeah. These are the pictures of all the Mika's. And they're thinking, I don't have that. Right. Um, So it's, it's helpful to kind of know the Mm -hmm. gamut. Yeah. And just to track it, right. And to just be aware of it and start paying attention to it and know that the cervical fluid is leading up to ovulation. And then after ovulation in a healthy cycle, the, you, you will have dry days after that. Yeah. In a healthy cycle, you're going to produce a healthy amount of progesterone, which is going to actually dampen or damper the effects, uh, temper (laughs) the effects of estrogen. (laughs) So basically the progesterone kind of just shuts it all down. Mm. Um, So when you have a good, healthy, strong luteal and you have good, healthy progesterone production, then you will see a shift where you used to have this clear, stretchy stuff, or you had this lubricative kind of stretchy, um, uh, slippery sensation when you were wiping and it it goes away. Um, Mm And then, it, yeah, typically then for the rest of the cycle, you're not really going to see a lot. So, but I mean, some women do see a little bit again, but this is what we were talking about at the beginning with looking at the menstrual cycles, vital sign and kind of, you can get a, an indirect understanding of what's happening hormonally from looking at some of those really kind of niggly nuances of the cycle. Right. So if someone has like a lot of cervical mucus in their luteal phase, would that indicate that there is an imbalance going on? Well, so if you've truly ovulated, you won't see, like you might still see some cervical fluid, but it would be very different. Okay. So maybe if you see that, then that's a sign like, okay, maybe you didn't ovulate then and to start tracking and making sure that you're actually ovulating. Yeah. So when mm-hmm. I'm, so if I'm working with somebody and she's like, okay, I saw, like, I saw all this mucus and I ovulated. Um, but then, you know, three days later I saw this mucus again. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm always like, I'm like the basic, like, okay, well, let's see if you really ovulated. So mm-hmm. if you're seeing a lot of clear, stretchy cervical fluid and you think you've ovulated, you might not have ovulated. So right. that's, we, we would want to get that under control. Yeah. Um, if you have actually ovulated, it is possible to see cervical fluid after ovulation. It, it can sometimes happen and it can be related to the progesterone, not necessarily being high enough mm. to stamp out the estrogen. Um, but in that case, the quality and quantity is, is usually quite different. Okay. Um, yeah. So as you can see, it can get like, it, it, if someone's at the beginning of their journey, you don't need to necessarily start there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can start by just tracking your periods. Right. Like, that's a good first step. Just mm-hmm. you know, tracking your periods. If you're not on birth control, 
start paying attention. It's once you see it, you can't unsee it. So yeah. what we're talking about here today, if your cycles are ovulatory, if you're not on hormones, then you will notice that some of the days of the cycle, you have some level, some degree of cervical fluid that you can pay attention to. And it's interesting when I look back to when I was a teenager, I remember uh, around that age when I started to cycle, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't, I obviously didn't know. So I just remembered some days I felt really wet and mm-hmm. I would go to my mom and I was like, what's going what's on? <laughs> and she, she didn't really know. So she was like, well, just use panty liners. I use panty liners. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and looking back, I'm like, oh, that yeah, obviously yeah. that was my cervical flip. I had no idea. Yeah. So I love it. The main message is, and also tracking your temperature. I think that's a, maybe an easier step too, to, or and obviously you, you recommend doing all of it, but it's easier to sometimes see and, and start getting used to it for the ovulation and then getting into the cervical fluid patterns as well. Um, obviously both are important, but really the whole message here is to start paying attention to your period. If you aren't on hormonal birth control and to really start knowing that it is important. And if you are struggling with some type of, you know, period issue, that it needs to be addressed because it's not just like something that you only need three times a year or that's not a big deal. Um, so Lisa, anything else that you want to leave the listener with, um, any final tips, steps moving forward, anything you want to leave them with? Um, I mean, one thing came to mind, I mean, everyone is different and you want to think about what your kind of goals are. So Mm. when I'm working with clients, everyone's goals are a little bit different, right? I work with a lot of women who are trying to get pregnant and they really want to understand their cycle because maybe they've talked to their regular doctors and um, a variety of professionals who've never really looked at their cycle. And so it's hard to, from my, I mean, I'm a little bit biased because this is what I do, but when you're not looking at the cycle, there's certain things you can really only kind of pick up correctly when you actually look at the cycle, like even Mm -hmm. a basic progesterone test. (laughs) Yeah. A good example. Because you don't make progesterone in significant quantities unless you ovulate. And so if your Mm -hmm. doctor's saying, oh, take the progesterone test on day 21, like that could be a totally useless test if you ovulate on day 22. Right. Um, So there's a lot of basic information that you can gain. Um, Mm -hmm. And then if you're trying to avoid pregnancy, I think the takeaway, one of the things that I have noticed, one of the trends is there's definitely been a shift. So when I was growing up, it's like a hundred years ago. Was years ago. Um, it's it's so funny though because there's so much has changed. So I'm starting yes. to feel like oh, in my day, but, yeah, it really has. It really really has. But what's interesting is that when I chose to uh, you know come off the pill and use condoms, I felt really good about that decision. You know, and mm-hmm. at the time that I decided I was going to use condoms um, to avoid pregnancy, I didn't know about fertility awareness. Like it was very quickly afterwards, but I didn't know. But I felt good about that decision because I didn't grow up in the time of like, well, if you're not on birth control, it's only a matter of time before you'll get pregnant. Yeah, And that is weird because we have non-hormonal methods that work. Mm -hmm. And then if you add fertility awareness to the mix, you can have, you can double up. So I I share with my clients that if you're charting and you uh, know that you ovulated and you're in the post-ovulatory phase, you've done your, you know, cross-checking for any of the advanced listeners, you've done your count of three, you've done like, you, you know what I mean? Like you waited for that third high temp, like you're good to go. Right. Like this is like, this is it. Cannot get pregnant. It's biological. Yeah. You use withdrawal Mm -hmm. during that time, honey, you're using two methods. Yeah. Right. So you're just protecting yourself even more. 
Yeah. So, I mean, depending on what your goals are, if this resonates with you, I just want you to know it's possible. Yes. Oh, I love that. Everyone needs to go get the book, The Fifth Vital Sign. It is so incredible. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. I've already talked about it so many times on this podcast because I love it so much. Um, And then Lisa, how can we find you? How can people work with you? Obviously, where can they get your book? All that stuff. Well, thank you so much. Again, you are so sweet. (laughs) It really is so good. (laughs) Um, Well, so the book is available on Amazon. It's in the paperback, the ebook, and the audiobook. Uh, I have a podcast, Fertility Friday. It's in its seventh year. It's wow. It's been that long. Amazing. uh, (laughs) Yeah. So if you like what we talked about here today, I mean, Mm -hmm. um, you could just search Fertility Friday in your favorite podcast player and you'll find me. Um, I will link it below too. Thank you. And I'm also on Instagram at Fertility Friday. Um, it's interesting over there. I'm always talking about <laughs> vaginas and whatnot. So it's, it's a good time for it. all. <laughs> yeah. um, and I've got some free courses and things. So if you just go to fertilityfriday.com slash freebies, you'll see kind of like all of the free. Amazing. I will put all of this in the show notes, the podcast, the book, her Instagram, the freebies, all the things. Go check it out. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate you. And this was such an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being here. If you loved this episode and learned something valuable, please share it with a friend who you think would also love it or post it on social media and tag me so I could personally say thank you for helping me spread this important message. I am beyond grateful to be here with you. So until next time, stay intentional, stay consistent, and always mind your hormones.